You are listening to audio from Community Bible Church of Savannah. A sermon from our series entitled Walk by Faith. For more information, visit us at cbcsavannah.com. So I feel like a lot of you probably don't know me unless you're in middle school, um, which is fine. I mean, that's natural. But I, so let me tell you a little story. So I'm from Arizona, great state. Uh, if you've ever been there, it's a desert, and that's not an understatement. That is a true statement. And we have a lot of pools because it actually gets really hot there, not like the humid stuff you guys get here. Um, it gets real hot, okay, 120 plus, okay, that's what I'm saying. That's why I'm here. I'm not there anymore because it's so hot. Um, and we have pools galore. Everybody's got a pool, okay? So when I was about eight or nine years old, I was a young kid and I thought I was better than I was, so I had the bright idea that I could swim from one side of the pool to the other without taking a breath of air, okay? So I'm about eight or nine, it's a long pool, it's my friend's pool, so I'm like, I got this, I got this. So I come on to the other side and I take a deep breath, and then I go under the water and I start swimming, just keep swimming. I'm swimming. I don't think Nemo was out at that time, by the, by the way. But I'm swimming, and about 75% of the way, I'm like, I can't do this. <laughs> this was a bad idea. I'm like, I'm starting to panic. So I come up for air, and on top of the water, there was a, there was a, a raft, a heavy raft. And so I think somebody was in it or something. But I come up for air, and when I come up, my head hits the top of the raft, and I suck in water because I thought I was taking an air. And now I'm panicking. Now I'm like, ooh, this is not good. This ain't good. Archie's going to die. I had the eight years of my life flashed before my eyes, and it was the quickest thing I've ever seen. So I'm freaking out and uh, got to the edge of the pool. Obviously, I lived. I'm here breathing now. Um, spewed out the water, and like a typical eight-year-old, got back in the pool, tried it again, got it the second time. So there you go. Kudos to RJ at eight years old. I tell you that story because... Um, as we look at our text today, as we, go, as we start this new series, I want to I start painting you a picture, okay, of what it's like to drown. Okay, let's talk about what it's like to drown. When you are drowning, what's happening is you've taken a breath of air, you've sucked in that last breath of air, and now you're underwater, and now you can't get out, you can't, you can't leave, you're in trouble, and you're holding on to that last breath of air that has given you life. And over time, your body will actually start spasming, and it'll take over, and it'll suck in water. It forces you to suck in water, because you need air. And what happens is, somebody after the first service came up and told me some more scientific stuff than I said the first service, but what happens is, is your blood gets into your, uh, your lungs, fills your lungs, and it starts to affect your bloodstream. It starts to attack you, actually. It starts to kill you. That's how you drown. Even if you, die, even if you live, that's what happens. So I tell you that because if we're honest with ourselves, I feel as though a lot of us in this room, if we're honest with ourselves, you're probably drowning, honestly. If you are honest with yourself, it doesn't matter how old, or old you are or young you are, you may be drowning. And as we start this new series, we're looking at what it's like to breathe the same fresh air given to the saints of old. When you drown, your blood is watered down. And as Christians, the danger for us is to live lives watered down by sin, where we have no real effect for the gospel, just struggling to live our lives for Christ. And that's the hope of this new series, is that we look at men and women in the Old Testament, men and women of faith, 
in the Old Testament. And through that, we're going to see different shades of faith. We're going to see different ways, different avenues that faith shows itself. And the way we're going to see it a lot today is this, is that faith is a justifying faith. It's a justifying gift from God. So when we look at the Old Testament, we're, we're seeing brothers and sisters in Christ, but really, more importantly, we're seeing what God has done through them. It's a justifying gift from God that enables us, enables sinners to believe and thus be saved. That's you and me. Okay? Got that? So as we dive, that's a pun, as we dive more deeply into the story, yeah, come on, as we dive more deeply into the story of Cain and Abel, all right, I want us, our central theme is going to be this, okay? The desires that are in your heart are going to produce actions in the hand. The desires in your heart are going to produce actions in your hand. Whatever you love most, wherever your affections are most, that's what people are going to see. That's what the world will see. That's what you will see. That, that will produce actions. And as I prepared for the sermon, something that's been really encouraging to me has been CBC's uh, sermon archive. It's on our website, SoundCloud. So this isn't out of pride. This is my first time up here. I'm not on it, okay? Uh, two years ago, William Cain preached an excellent sermon on Genesis 20, okay? An amazing sermon stirred my heart. And this was his main theme, okay? Who is on the throne of your heart? And you're going to see that a lot because whoever's on the throne of your heart today is driving your desires and ultimately your actions. So let's go to Genesis 4. If you've got a Bible, open to Genesis 4. That's where we're going to be the rest of the time. And as you're turning there, Genesis 4 comes after Genesis 1, 2, and 3, obviously. And uh, what's happened, Genesis 1 to 3, is this. God has created the universe. He's created the world. He's created the earth. And now he's created a garden. And in that garden, he's created a man and a woman, Adam and Eve. And he promises them, if you obey me, you can have life. You can enjoy what I've given you. You can enjoy everything. But if you disobey me, you will die. You will die. And what do they do? We all feel it. The sinfulness you carry is from Adam. You feel that. They sinned. They disobeyed God. And what does God do? In his mercy, in his mercy, he does not destroy them what they deserve. He is more than they deserve. He lets them live. But sin has consequences, and the curses they endure we feel today. But in those curses, we see a blessing, and it's this. The seed of the serpent who tempted Eve, the seed of the serpent would be evil, and the seed of the woman that would come from Eve would eventually carry one day one offspring that would destroy all of the works of sin and death, and that person is Jesus Christ. So from Genesis 3, we start seeing echoes and shadows of Jesus Christ coming. So now we're in Genesis 4, okay? Happy Father's Day. This is the first family. If you think your family's bad, buckle up. We're about to see it, okay? Genesis 4, verse 1. Now Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep. He's a shepherd. And Cain, a worker of the ground. He's a farmer. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. So it's, he's farming, so he just grabs stuff. It's just a fruit of the ground, okay? No real significance. But you should notice, he's the first one to come. Out of religiousness, he just comes first. He darkens the door first. 
4. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. If you're a vegetarian in the room, this is probably my best joke of the day. If you're a vegetarian in the room, the fat portions, tastiest part. Okay, so the good stuff, all right? I thought that was funny, whatever. Um, <laughs> and the Lord had regard, I want you to see this, had regard for Abel and his offering. The offering represents a person, but for Cain and his offering, the Lord had no regard. That's our first section. We're going to break this text up into three sections, pointing to the desires in your heart produce actions in your hand. This is our first point. Your offering reveals your heart. What you offer to the Lord reveals your heart. What you give to the Lord reveals your heart. Let's talk about what an offering is before we continue. An offering is an expression of worship. It's pointing the way in which God would save sinners. Okay? So, the firstborn lamb. If you, if you know anything about the Bible, that should set off some Bible senses. Okay? Tingling. All right? Firstborn lamb. Lamb slain for us, Jesus Christ. It's a shadow pointing ahead. An offering was giving up what the sinner, what, what they hold most dear, giving it away, giving it ultimately to God, not out of a sense of religiousness or you owe God something, well, you do owe God your life, but not out of a sense of, well, this will earn my way. No, it's trusting that God would provide and that he will provide everything in this life. So you should ask the next question. Does an offering save? Even in a firstborn lamb, does that offering save? No, read Hebrews 10. Okay. Let's compare the two offerings. Let's compare the two brothers. Okay, now that we know what offerings are, now we understand that your offering reveals your heart and your desires and your heart, your loves and affections. I'm going to produce actions in the hand. Let's compare the two offerings, okay? Cain's offering overlooks God. You would be like, what? How does he overlook God? He's the first one to come. He, he darkens the door first. He's here every Sunday. He loves Georgia football. I'm not for the South, so but I love the South. Okay, I, I can pick. I live here. Um, how is Cain overlooking God? He's overlooking God because he has no faith. He's lacking faith. And since he's lacking faith, he underestimates the power of sin and the need for God. Do you see that? What Cain is doing is what so many of you in this room, so, so many of us in this room, so many of you in this room, so many people around the world, so many Christians do. We go to God out of a sense of some religious accomplishment, not out of a need for redemption that we are burdened by sin. You know, God, we don't, a lot of us, if we're honest, we don't, we don't show up on Sunday thinking, you know, man, my sin's been really getting me this week. And maybe this is you, but man, I've, I've been, my sin's really tough this week. And I need to go to God to be redeemed. I need to look to him. That's not what Cain was doing. And if you're honest, I'm sure some of you in this room would say the same thing. Think about it this way. Think about the rich young ruler that Jesus talks about. The rich young ruler, right? He's like, what can I do to be saved? As long as I do good works, as long as I give you everything I got, as long as I keep the law, I can be saved. And Jesus is like, you don't understand. What can I buy my way into heaven, Lord? He's like, you don't understand. Who's on the throne of your heart? Your money. So let's look at Abel now, okay? Let's look at Abel. Abel's God-centered offering is much different. It's much different. Abel understands that God is the Redeemer, and we can see it in his sacrifice. He understands, and I believe it's by his genuine faith, 
That he drove, it drove his understanding of sin and the need for redemption. And where does he look for that redemption? He doesn't look to himself. He doesn't look to his offering, does he? No. He looks to God. It's one, and it's the type of sacrifice that's important. Okay? One commentator says this. His type of sacrifice, which was by death and blood. Death which he deserved because of his sin. And you deserve because of your sin. And I deserve because of my sin. Why? Because the wages of sin is death. Blood, which was the way atonement came. Abel's faith opened his eyes to his sin. It helped him understand. He realized. It enabled him to believe and understand that God is the Redeemer. And if I, I'm going to sacrifice in a way that reflects who God is and what he does. And it's no small thing either, okay? I want you to see this too. He gives an exuberant amount. The firstborn, the fat portions, the good stuff. He's given up what's most valuable to him. What's most precious to him. Now, I'm a Lord of the Rings fan, okay? And, uh, yeah. Uh, and there's a creepy, weird dude, if you remember this, Gollum. Everybody, who knows Gollum? Raise your hand. I'm a middle school guy. Raise your hand. Oh, yeah, okay. So we all kind of know who Gollum is. He's this creepy, weird dude. And what does he want? The whole time, he's, like, going after the ring. What does he want? He wants the precious. He's going after the precious. So what? He can just take it for himself and selfishly go and hide away for himself. Is Abel like Gollum? No. He gives up the precious. He gives it up. So let me ask you, what is most precious to you? What are you holding on to so tightly that you just can't give it to the Lord? What is most precious to you? What is holding you back from following the Lord better? This story seems just eerily familiar of a story Jesus tells, okay? He tells a story of a man who finds treasure in a field, right? You guys know the story a little bit. What does he do? He finds a treasure in a field. What does he do? He buries the treasure. And then what? In his joy. Faith causes joy, by the way. In his joy, he sells everything he has and buys the field. He gives up everything that's precious to him in this life. He gives it all up. So he could have something even more valuable than he can even understand. And that's what faith does. It causes a sinner to give up what they hold most dear so that they can gain what is most valuable, that being Jesus Christ. Some of you today are holding on. What are you holding on to, friend? What are you holding on to that's keeping you from Jesus and following him better, Christian or not? What are you holding on to? What is most precious to you? When this thing is taken away, though, we see the response that Cain gets. He, he's like, Lord, I, I've come to you. I came fast. I gave an offering. You have no regard for me? And the Lord warns him. Let's see his response, because this is important. Verse 5. If you're tracking along, Genesis 4, 5. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. He was sad. And the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you. That, that word contrary, get rid of that, for. Is, a, is the same word that could go there. Its desire is for you, Cain. You must rule over it. 
I told first service this, and this is really embarrassing, so we can all laugh at me for this. Um, so I'm from Arizona, so I'm new to this whole grass thing, okay? Grass is this weird concept. It rains, it grows too fast, and I have to go cut it, okay? And uh, yesterday, within the past 24 hours, I was cutting my grass. It's a Saturday. I've realized that's what everybody in the South does, okay? Everybody cuts their grass on Saturday morning, um, which is great. That's fine. So I, I'm cutting my grass. I get the front lawn done. Backyard is a little bit higher, so I'm cutting the grass, and it's, my, my lawnmower is a cheap one, so it, it gets a little caught. I'm like, there must be a twig in there. And I don't have a bag on mine, so it just has a little flip thing. So I'm like, I, I see the twig, and I'm like, I can just pull that right out. You know where this is going. Um, so I stick my, stick my, I don't stick my hand in there, that sounds dumb. I go for the twig, and somehow the twig, when it pulled, it pulled back and just hit my finger. And it hurt, man. It hurt real bad. And I thought I'd cut my finger off because I immediately lost, it, it was scared me, it was bad. And I'm like freaking out, I'm scared. And I'm running inside, I'm like calling Alyssa because she's not home, I'm like, you gotta go, we gotta go home. And she walks in and we go to the hospital and I just kind of hit it real bad, it looks bad, but the worst part about this story, what's most embarrassing, is literally on the flap it says, caution, don't stick any limbs in here, okay? And I saw that right before I went for the twig. I said, eh, that's all right. Like the mower's still going, I'm holding it, I'm like, eh, that's okay, don't do this at home, kids. And I'm like, oh, that's okay, caution, whatever, and then, okay. So often, you and I, we are warned by the scriptures, and we ignore it. So often we do that, don't we? We see the warning signs of our sin is starting to tempt us. Sexual morality, lusts, passions, greed, envy, jealousy, anger, whatever it is, it's tempting you. And the scriptures talk everywhere about the warning of sin entertaining your thoughts and desires and pulling you away. So let me ask you, what is your response to a warning from sin? I mean, we've got one of the clearest warnings in Scripture today, but anywhere in the Scriptures, what is your response to when the Scriptures warn you of sin? What is your response when a pastor, a community group leader, the middle school guy, what, is, what do you do when you're warned of your sin? Do you continue in it? This is why I'm getting to this. Point two. Your response to correction reveals your heart. If you fight and kick and scream because you have a desire in your heart, you have, you have somebody on the throne of your heart that's sinful, and when that thing is told you need to cut that off, when you respond that way, that reveals your heart. And God, man, he's so merciful, is he not? He, gives, he does three things for Cain, okay? He does three things for Cain, and through this passage, he's doing the same three things for you. He cares for Cain. How does he care for Cain, RJ? He goes to Cain. Cain has no love for God, but God goes to him. He speaks to him. He warns him. And what is he, what is he encouraging? What is God encouraging? He's encouraging not just a better action or sacrifice, which is important, but more importantly, he's encouraging a better heart. And that's what God does. He directs Cain to himself. Where is God directing Cain? He's directing him to himself. Because think about it this way. What is the most right thing any human in this world can live for? What's the most right thing? What is your purpose as a human being? 
I don't want the world's answer. I want what, what does the scripture say about that? You were created in God's image. You were created to glorify and enjoy God. And when you don't do that, you are going contrary to your purposes. A good way to illustrate this or think about this, I tell this to the middle schoolers, so they've heard this before. Imagine if I, after this service, go out and I buy a Lamborghini, just the nicest one on the lot. Okay, you can laugh because that's impossible for me to do. Um, I just go out and buy the nicest car. I mean, very nice car. All right, next week RJ's driving up in a Lambo, and everybody's like, how much does he make? Um, the middle school guy, I got to get that job. I'm just kidding. I, I can't make that much. They, I don't know if the crime would be me driving it off the lot or driving too fast or them just letting me have it. So imagine I buy this Lamborghini, this very nice car. And then imagine next Sunday I drive this car, this very nice car, straight into a lake. Yeah, whoever said that, wow. All right? Imagine I drive it straight into a lake. Why is, that, why is that comical? You're not laughing, but you should be laughing. Why is that comical? Because a car is a car. A car is meant to be driven on the road, is it not? That's its purpose. You can enjoy the car the most when you drive it on the road, not in a lake. All right? See where I'm getting at this? When you live your life contrary to your purpose, then you're just driving your life straight into a lake of sin. car ain't going to drive well. It's going to be hard for you to live drowning in that lake of sin. And so why is God directing Cain? Because he doesn't want Cain going there. He's preemptively loving Cain, shepherding his heart. God does this too. Three. God warns Cain. He warns him. He does not let Cain go without a warning. We see this warning, right? So the clearest of warnings, he's told that sin will devour him if he does not believe and look to God and be saved. Abel had done this. Why is Abel able to do this? Because of his faith. How is Abel able to do this? It's a catchphrase. Because of his faith. He had the gift of faith. And you and I are presented with the same option today. We can live our lives for sin, our sinful desires, the desires of this world, or we can live for God. Christian or not, you have that choice today. Same as Cain. You have that option today. Are you going to choose your sinfulness, the things you hold on to, the things you cling in your heart? You know them. I don't know them. I could give you a list, and it may not hit your list, but what, is, what are you holding on to? What is the, what's, where are your desires because sin is crouching at the door in a myriad of ways today, right now, for each and every last one of you, young or old. All right? How are you responding to the warning of sin? Okay. Let's pause for a second. Okay? Pause for a second. Happy Father's Day. This is probably the only application we can get out of this as a father. Okay? Happy Father's Day, gentlemen. Um, if you notice, if you notice something, where is Adam. Where is Adam? Where is Adam? And if you look at Genesis 3, when his wife is tempted to sin by a sneaky snake, where is Adam? Where is Adam? So let me apply this to your life. Adam was a spineless, worthless, absent husband and absent father, and ultimately he's passive. He's passive. 
really, in, in one sense or another, he's abusing his family by his passivity. He could abuse his family physically or verbally, which is just as heinous, but he's abusing them passively. So let me, let me apply this to your life. Men, young men, married men, fathers, all of us, this applies to me as well. This was so convicting as I thought about this. We need to live our lives, men, as leaders and as lovers, loving our families, loving our children, leading our families, leading our children, where to? Where are we leading our families to? To Christ. And we are, loving our, our, we are loving our families like Christ loves the church. Ephesians 5, go read it, okay? If you don't know that, read it. Be convicted by it. I was. Play. Okay, back to the sermon. How are you responding to sin? Okay, now we're back on, back on track. Okay, verse 8. Let's see how Cain continues. Literally right after God speaks to him. Some of you are like, man, I just wish God would speak to me and tell me how bad, how bad sin is. This is how you'd probably respond as well. And we have it in the scriptures, but God just spoke to Cain. Now we get verse 8. Cain spoke to his brother, his Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. The word here is slaughter. I know a lot of hunters in the room. Same word, spilling of blood what's going on here. Verse 9. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? I want you to see this. God is giving Cain a chance to repent and believe. This is his last chance. The Lord has been so merciful up to this point. This is his chance. Where is Abel, your brother? He said, I don't know. I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from where? Your hand. Action. Desires. Twelve. When you work the ground, he's punishing Cain because this is what he deserves. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You should be a fugitive and wander on the earth. I want you to notice here, God has been so merciful because he deserves to destroy Cain. What are the wages of sin? Death. He deserves death. God is merciful. 13. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and wander the earth, and whoever finds me shall kill me. It's a good thing I'm not God. <laughs> I just want to say that right here. I, man, he kills his brother and then he complains because he's scared of his own life. 15, then the Lord said, not so. If anyone kills Cain, more mercy. Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain. This is a distinguishing mark between the people of God and those opposed to God. Seed of the serpent, seed of the woman. Genesis 3. Lest any who found him should attack him. 16. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and sandaled in, uh, settled, sandaled, settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. That is the saddest verse in our passage today. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord. Point three. Your actions reveal your heart. 
Your actions reveal your heart. We see it. The blood of his brother. Where are they at? Where's the blood at? It's on his hands. It's on the ground. Up to this point, we've been seeing a lot of Cain. Let's contrast Cain to Abel. Let's go start with Cain, then we're going to talk about brother Abel at the end. Cain's sinful heart is on display, is it not? I mean, my goodness, we see it. And his desires for sin are seen in his actions. His angry, jealous, passionate murder of his brother is seen in his actions, is it not? Your brother's blood is on your hands. An application for this, this series really in general, but this passage in general. Cain's heart, sometimes when we read these passages, you know, we're, you know, we're like, oh man, you know, RJ, that's kind of sad. Why do we have to talk about this on Father's Day? I'm not as bad as Cain. I'm not as bad as Cain. Cain's pretty bad, but I'm not bad. I, at least, at the very least, my sin is in my heart. People see it from time to time, but it's in my heart. No, Cain's heart is no more or no less sinful than your heart or my heart. So do not underestimate your sin, because it will get you. It's going to get you, whether today or tomorrow. Don't underestimate your sinfulness, whether you're a Christian or not. You have to understand that your sinfulness is trying to kill you. It is trying to pull you away from God. What happens to Cain? And Cain went away from the presence of the Lord. He leaves God. What does he choose? He chooses sinfulness. He chooses the desires that are in his heart over God. You see that? He's choosing ultimately. He's choosing hell over God. Do you see that? And I have to ask the question. How many of you in this room are doing the exact same thing? I love y'all. So let's be honest. How many of you? Be honest with your heart. Be honest with yourself. Examine your soul. Are you choosing the same sinful desires and actions that Cain chose? Are you choosing your sin over the God of the universe? Are you? How many of you, and even more specific, how many of you are compromising your life because you continue in your sin? Instead of confessing, repenting, and believing. How many of you are compromising your marriages? Your hearts? I love you. And that is why we have to be honest. How many of you are compromising your life? Because it is dangerous. You get your fingers hurt. All right? All right. Let's get a little bit more happy now. We've seen some tough stuff, right? Let's, get, let's see faithful brother Abel, okay? If you've noticed up to this point, Abel's not said a single word. He ain't said a single word. But this is what we do here from Abel. We've seen his actions. This is what we do here from Abel. The Lord hears something from Abel. We hear this, Abel's righteous heart, specifically his blood, crying out. That's what we see. What does Moses mean? Moses wrote Genesis, inspired by the Holy Spirit. What does Moses mean? What does the Lord mean when he writes these words? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. What does that mean? Because God obviously knows what happened to Abel. God obviously knows. He's God. 
He's sovereign. He's in control. So what's going on here? Abel's blood is calling out on his behalf. Okay? He's calling out to the injustice that has been done to him. Okay? Think about it this way. If you know anything about a crime scene, you know anything about a crime scene, what's the most important evidence in a crime scene? What makes or breaks the case most often? It's the blood. It's the blood. So the case for Abel is made in his blood. And this is the best part, man. This is so good. As Christians, we should be actively reading the Old and New Testaments, every word of Scripture, because it is important we can see things like this. And the writer of Hebrews makes a connection, okay? Makes a connection between the Old and New Testament, between specifically Abel and Christ's blood. Let's compare the two for a second, shall we? Abel's blood only calls out for the injustice done to him. Injustice done to him. Yet Christ's blood, it calls out not just for the injustice of the cross, but for sinners. It calls out for the enemies of God. Christ's blood saves those washed in said blood. That's where forgiveness is at. Hebrews 12, Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks, what? A better word than the blood of Abel. What does that mean? What is the better word spoken by Christ? It's this. It's a justifying word. It's a justifying blood that speaks for the sins of men and women like you and me. It's a blood, church, that buys us. We are slaves to sin. How do slaves become free? By being purchased. And how are we purchased? What is our fee? It's death. It's blood to atone. It's the blood that buys the church. It redeems us as sinners. Ephesians 1.7, in him we have redemption through what? His blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Do you see this, church? Church, our faith, friend, our faith. If you're like, this is my first time at church, I want you to know that a Christian's faith, a Christian's faith is not in our offering, it's not in our sacrifices, it's not in our good deeds, it's not in our nice words, our nice suits. No. Our faith is in the redeeming and active blood of Jesus Christ that washes us from anxiety, from depression, from sadness, from sin. It's in that blood. That's where our faith is at. Revelation 1.5. You don't believe me? Revelation 1.5. Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. This is throughout the scripture, so this is just one. Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings of earth, to him who loves us, church, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins. How has he freed us from our sins? By his blood. Amen. Amen. So let me ask you a question today, friend. Has the blood of Jesus Christ freed you from your sins? Has it freed you from your sins? Knowing, and some of you may say, RJ, I am too sinful to come to Jesus. I, am, I came here so I could get my life back together. I am too sinful, though. Sinclair Ferguson says it so well. I've got to quote him. Jesus is more full of grace than you are of sin. That is so true today. And if you are burdened by your sin, 
Jesus is more full of grace to free you from your sin. Let's look at this comparison as well. Abel's blood is encouraging. Abel's blood can only speak from where? The ground. Can only speak from the ground. Why is that interesting? Because it's stained in the ground. It's soaking the ground. It has stained the ground like a white shirt and blood just splattered all over it. Yet, Christ has risen. He is risen, and through his eternal and living blood, there is advocacy, there is new life for his people. Do you see that? No longer are you an old man, an old person. No, you are new in Christ. The old man is gone. The new person is here. You are washed in that blood. You are given righteousness, and you can live for him. Ephesians 2.13. But now in Christ, and I want you to see this, because this is every single last one of you in this room. Whether God has intervened in your life or not. Some of you are still far off. Some of you have been brought near. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near. How? By the blood of Christ. Christian, is your life stained by the blood of Christ? Do you rely on his blood? Do you find joy there? Do you find joy? Are your, is your faith there? Are your desires there? Are your affections there? Because if they are not, that's who's on the throne of your heart. That's who's on the throne of your heart. Is your life marked by your sin that you continue in? Marked by you living out of your own strength, your own ideology, your own money, your wealth, your health? Because a Christian does not look to their own blood, but to the justifying and active blood of Jesus Christ, where there is grace. What can save us? What can wash us from our sins? Nothing but the blood. Hebrews 12, 1 to 2. Where is our aim now? Okay, now that we see this, where is our aim? Where are we going? Church, Hebrews 12, 1 to 2. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely because it pulls us down and it pulls us back. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. If you need a starting point, if, if you're like, where do I go? Where do I go next? First stop, grow in your love. Constantly be growing. I don't care how old or young you are. Grow in your love for the Savior of your soul, Christian. Grow in your affections for Jesus. Your desires to serve Him and honor Him. Give your life to Him. And the best way to do this, this should be pretty basic, but sometimes it's not the best way to do this. Be discipled by the Word of God and by another Christian, one who's run the race before you. Are you being discipled? Are you growing? Are you reading your Bible and growing in your love and affections and faith? As Titus 2 says, it calls young men to seek out older men in the faith and grow. Younger women to grow from older women. If you love God, if you've been changed by God, if he loves you this much, he has, he has spared not even his firstborn son. If, God is, if you love God this much, then you should love your neighbor just as much. You should love each other just as much. You should not be like Cain who hated his brother and killed him. You should be like Christ who loves sinners and dies for them. 
That's how Genesis 4 ends, okay? But I don't want to, I don't, this is how, that's not how the Bible ends. This is actually just the beginning of the story. This is the beginning of how God would redeem sinners like you, me, Abel, and anyone who puts their faith in Christ. This is not the end of the story. Look at verse 25. It seems bleak. Adam and Eve would have been really saddened. They would have seen no hope. But let's see some hope. 425. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed me for another, another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. Seth, Seth, has no words, no actions, nothing spoken of besides this encounter. His name is the only thing in the Bible. Okay? I want you to see this, though, how God even redeems this tragic story through Seth's bloodline. Through his genealogical line, we see in Luke 3, Jesus Christ coming. Look to Luke 3 and be encouraged that tragedies like this are redeemed by a God who redeems his enemies, his sinners. Let me ask you, have you been redeemed by this blood, a blood that redeems Genesis 4? Have you been redeemed by this blood? Let's pray. Lord, your word, it is active, it is sharper than any two-edged sword. Lord, it cuts the hearts of others, but it, it even cuts deeper in the hearts of ourselves as we look at this. It cuts my heart to look at this and say, Lord, I am a sinner and I don't deserve anything. I don't deserve anything. I don't deserve your love. I don't deserve you, Lord, but by your grace... Sinners like myself, we've been set free. We've been set free by the blood of Christ. What can wash away, Lord, oh Lord, what can wash away our sins, our impurities, the things that burden us? What can wash those things away? Lord, you've given us that answer. It's nothing but Christ Jesus' blood, nothing but his blood purifies the church, buys the church, and cares for the church more than his blood. Thank you, Lord, for loving us and caring for us. In your name, amen.